Hi, and welcome to the Hollywood Dream Maker Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Gallo. I'm a 35-year veteran actor. I'm the kid who came out to Hollywood with 200 bucks in my pocket and a one-way ticket when I was 18. Didn't know a soul out here, and I've been living my dream ever since. I've had an amazing career. I've been an Academy Award-winning film, blockbuster film, hit TV series. You name it, I've done it, and I got the IMDb credits to prove it. Six years ago, I opened up my own school, the Manhattan Actor Studio, where I found my true passion. That's teaching the craft of acting, but not only teaching the craft of being the guy. Success leaves clues. I know how to make dreams a reality. I did it for myself, and I do it on a daily basis for my students. And I can help you achieve yours. Welcome to my podcast. Let's get started. I am super excited to introduce my guest. He's a veteran actor who's been on the big screen and television. You may recognize him from his memorable roles in films such as Alive, Crimson Tide, The Rock, Eraser, and of course, James Cameron's blockbuster hit, Titanic. On the small screen, he's left his mark in various projects, including Paramount Pictures, The Offer, a series diving into the creation of the legendary film, The Godfather, he also starred in the long-running series, The Fosters, as well as 911 and The Rookie. I want to welcome the very talented Danny Nucci to the podcast. What's up, What's brother? Up? What's up, Billy? Good to see you, man. It's good to see you, man. I was thinking, you know, we go way, way back, you know. I, I created this podcast, right, to inspire young artists to follow their dreams. If uh, if a kid like me can come out to Hollywood at 18 with 200 bucks in his pocket, a one-way ticket you know, uh, just a dream and make it a reality, then why can't the listener out there, you know? If a kid like you can come, you know, and and make, you know, be in such blockbuster films like Crimson Tide and Titanic, and, you know, I mean, you, you've you made quite a career for yourself. And I remember when I first got into the game and I came into Hollywood and I, I, I you know, I booked that my first audition, I got my SAG card and I was in the game and then I get to the auditions, and there was this other kid there. Yeah, you. You were there. That's who was there. I was like, oh, fucking Billy Gallows here. All right, fuck. All right. Uh, that's it's so fun. funny, right? That's like the first thing you, like the first thing you, you, you know, when we were young, we'd like look at each other and just like, you know, all right, yeah, okay, well, there's that guy. All right, I know that guy's good, but I got, so I got I to gotta be better. And then you, later you realize, yeah, it doesn't really matter. You're not competing. You're not competing against anybody else. Well, you know, really I did not. I didn't feel like there was, I didn't feel like I was competing about against anybody until I saw you. I was like, who, who is this guy? Who's this Danny Nucci Funny, guy? You I know? always felt like I was competing against, against you. Cause I just thought he just, he, if this is a tougher role, you have it. <laughs> figured, if this is a tougher role. It's Billy's. I don't know. I, I can't. Yeah. I remember the, one of the first ones was, it was a film, uh, like the first time I was reading for a lead in a movie and it was, uh, I don't know what it was. It was like a, a son of a mafia boss or something like it's an Italian, you know, movie or whatever. And, and, and Are you were reading for an Italian role. Yeah. So it was, <laughs> what a stretch. so, so, but I remember being at the, the callback or whatever. And I look across and I see you and I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> you know? And I knew that was like, okay. That there's my competition, <laughs> you know. And then you booked a sitcom, right? Didn't you like that sort of launch? You was a, you you booked a sitcom with uh, with Matthew Perry, right? Is that yeah, right? yeah. That was uh, that was yeah. It was uh, originally it was called Second Chance, and then they canceled it and they revamped it and made it Boys Will Be Boys. Yeah, that was between uh, you and me. 
Was it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know that. Oh, I knew that. <laughs> you didn't get it. Who'd hired it? Billy Gallo. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, that's funny. Did you audition okay. for Who's the Boss? No, I never auditioned for Who's the Boss. I mean, I oh. guest stars, but never like a regular part. Okay, of them. yeah, because you know that there was there was a guest star on Who's the Boss that I turned into a three year recurring character. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go back to the beginning. You know, like when did you know you wanted to be an actor? I don't know. I mean, like an actor, actor. So yeah, like when when yeah, did you yeah, know this? What I, I want to do? Like really, really, honestly, I I didn't really make a decision till I was seventeen. So at this point, I'd been an actor for three years professionally. I'd worked professionally for three years. And obviously, I liked it because <laughs> I, I'd always performed for my family. And it was always a way to just, you know, to just kind of cut the red string with my dad and my mom and just keep the peace. And I would just, da, 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 hey, look over here. Hey, look <laughs> over here. You know, so, so that's sort of what launched me. Uh, into doing accents and performing and doing all of that. So it was kind of in there. I, it was always kind of a thing. So, but it wasn't until 17 where everybody was taking SATs and and they were talking about where they were going to go to school and what they were going to do for college. And I'd been an actor for, you know, three years. I was like, um, I, I guess I'll be an actor. <laughs> and my parents were like, well, what do you, I would, they were like, oh, okay. You know, and so that literally was the decision I went, all right, if I do, if it, it's either going to work out or it's not going to work out, but this is what I'm going to do. And fortunately for me at that point, I had a little bit of, oh, yeah, you can work. I'd been in some movies. I'd done some things. So, you know, there, it gave me confidence that I, this could be a career path. So so I want to go back a little bit. So at 13, how did you get in the business? Was it something like, you know, you, your parents introduced My dad you? had a friend who owned a chicken company called El Pollo Gordo, which is <laughs> the chubby chicken. <laughs> and they did this telethon where they did this thing called Kids for Kids. And so kids would answer the telephone and kids would pledge. And so there was one seat on the TV at the telethon. So my sister and I took turns being on TV because we wanted to be on TV answering the phone. And at one point, it was her turn. So I was just, you know, I was completely curious. So what is this? And there was the cameras and the guys and things going on. And some dude comes up to me and goes, hey. I'm like, yes. He's like, are you an actor? I'm like, what? He's like, are you an actor? I said, yes, I am. He goes, well, I'm a personal manager. Have your parents give me a call. Here's my card. Wow. I go, yeah. So... I was like, mom, dad, look, I got the, oh, who's this? You know, they were weird. Who's this person? Right. Of course. I'm like, oh, okay. And it turns out that he was like a legitimate guy. So he uh, took some, he's also a photographer. So he took some pictures and he got me a, um, and he got me, he, I guess he knew a children's agent and he brought me into the children's agent and they're like, okay, we'll take him. And then and how old were you? Eight, and 14. And it took me eight months to get a job. And finally, I got a non-paying job in a uh, independent little short called A Second Chance, hmm. believe it or not, with uh, Richard Mulligan of Ooh, uh, yeah. Empty Nest. And yeah, I, I work with him on Empty Nest. <laughs> Empty Nest, yeah. So with Richard Mulligan. And it was like my first time being in front of a camera and acting in front of the camera, which was 
awesome. But yeah, so that's how it started. And then I just started going on auditions and booking things. And so you were here in LA or yeah, you were? In Los Angeles, no, I was in LA. Yeah, I okay, didn't come so, here. I, I came here at 12. I, I was in New York. I was in Queens till I was 12. So where did you grow up? I mean, I, 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 I was born you... in Austria. Okay. Uh, in Klagenfurt, Austria, which I think is like Cleveland. No offense <laughs> to any Klagenfurt people listening. Um, that's an American show. And then right in, immediately we, we moved, uh, we moved to Italy and I lived outside of Venice in a uh, city called Treviso which is just outside of Venice in the north. And I was there till I was seven. And then we moved to Queens and I was there till I was 12. So I learned to speak English in Queens and it stuck, which is how <laughs> you and I got work, right? We were like, we were like the kids that can play East Coast characters. And that's how we got work. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, when I came out here, I remember somebody told me, you know, you really need to get the, you get rid of your accent. I was like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I got, it's what makes me me, you know, that's what's, you know, that's me. And, and it worked for me because I, I knew I could put a New York twist on it. And I mean, listen, boys will be boys was a surfer dude from Venice beach with a parrot on his shoulder. That's how they described the character. You know, I was like, no, I seem like the Fonz, you know, Leather jacket, you know. Well, that's the thing. When you get somebody, when you get somebody, you know, that is open to a different creative interpretation of something, it's just, it's the best. It's True. just the best. Like I was, when I did Crimson Tide, there was five different versions of the character that I played in Crimson Tide. There was, there was the Robert Town version, who was the one of the writers. There was the Quentin Tarantino version. There was the. Uh, Michael Schiffer version. All these writers had written. So there was just different versions of that particular character. And so I finally went to Tony Scott once I actually got the role, the director, and I said, can I do this with it? And he's like, okay, done, mate. You know, he's like, done, <laughs> mate. And uh, and that's what ended up being the character. So it was just, it's like, it's like you just kind of being able to go, hey, this is sort of what I'd like. And, and you know, it used to be a time where you could do that. Yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, it my used school to be a time, Billy, where you could do, you could have creative input. This was Hollywood, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about it. I mean, between me and you and it's, we, we got about 80 years in this business, you know, <laughs> I don't tell anybody, but I, you know, there's a wealth of, you know, I believe success leaves clues, you know, you know, being in this business and, and, and being on the roller coaster of, you know, this, acting journey you know it's highs and lows you know you know you learn a lot so you know what are you you know you, so here you are 17 now you you got an agent and you're starting you know to go out on audition i you learned know. how to deal with heartbreak billy that's what i learned how to deal with with right away right away and by the way it really served me because it was never going to get worse than this i'm in the audition for stand by me with river and Corey. And Will Wheaton, and and Jerry O'Connell, and uh, Sean Astin, and I forget who else was in there. But it was basically eight, nine of us, and they just did a mix and match, and then they told you to go. So you mix and match, you can go. Go back outside, wait, you can go. Go back outside, wait, you can go. And I was right down to the end. Wow. And, like, and then the casting director came out and went, Danny, you can go. And I... 
I don't remember, nothing at that point in my life had hurt so much because it was the first time I loved the script. Like I'd never really loved the project or loved the script and went, oh, this is, you know, I was just happy to have a job. I was just happy to get hired for something. I'm like, what dance do I have to do to get this job? But this was something where all of a sudden I was really invested in the story and the character. And it was the first time I was really starting to think that way. Like, oh, this would be an interesting role. Though. Like, not that I was necessarily thinking, how can I express myself? Because I don't think I was that conscious but there was something about it where it spoke to me for the first time, like a role spoke to me. And when I didn't get it, it just wrecked me. And so I learned like, okay, well, you got to, you can't, you got to pick yourself up and go again and go again and go again. And, you know, it, it, being in this business, it, it teaches you resilience. It does. And, you know, later on, it's not so, you don't take it so personal. It's not so much about there's something wrong with you as they want vanilla instead of chocolate you know they want butterscotch instead of strawberry so uh, you know at that age how'd you how'd you deal with that rejection well yeah. i cried a lot <laughs> I, was, I did a lot of crying you know I, I i think i think i i just it just made me stronger because i, I you couldn't quit right you couldn't really talk to your friends about it you couldn't really talk to your parents about it so you're just left to really sort of resolve it within you and you and whatever spirit you have. And then the next audition came and eventually over time, it softened a little bit and the edge came off of it. And then when, you know, you get a few wins, it's like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe I'm not horrible. And it, you know, it's just hard to not, and especially when you're that age, it's just hard not to take it personally. It's just hard yeah. not to make it like, oh, it's you. They don't, they like they don't like you. They don't want you as opposed to they don't like what you did with it. They, they want somebody else, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the, like, that's the thing that, I w you know, and the other thing that I wish somebody had told me at 70, I remember I was on Magnum PI, the the original Magnum PI. With Tom Selleck. <laughs> Tom Selleck, the original Magnum PI. And I was, you know, feeling like, Oh, this is great. I'm in Hawaii. I'm making money. I'm an actor. This is fantastic. You know, I loved it. And uh, and all I was thinking is, and then maybe from this, maybe I can do something else. And, da, da, da. and this one director looked at me. I didn't know what he meant at the time, but he said, he goes, hey, this is it. I'm like, what? He goes, this, this, this is it. I'm like, and I didn't really know what he meant. And I wish somebody had just shaken me and go, no, no, what it means, asshole, is this that you're enjoying that you're doing now, it's just going to be a different, maybe better version of this. So enjoy it, be here, do it now. And since I've, you know, worked with younger people, certainly on the Fosters, it's one of the things that I said to them. I said, uh, hey, man, we don't know if we'll ever be here. This is like, let's take this in for what it is and whatever happens after that happens. But like, enjoy this. This is cool. That's great advice. I wish somebody would have told me that. Right, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Like, like we, were, we were shooting in the, the Fosters in Turks and Caicos, right? It was like one of the last seasons, and they decided to go to Turks and Caicos, which is friggin' great. Rough like job. Shooting, right? Rough gig. <laughs> so we all go out to this, you know, you know, local joint that's supposed to be fantastic, and it was fantastic. And we're all sitting there. And I'm having the time of my life. 
And one of the actors who I love comes up to me and goes, I can't, I've, I've never seen you this happy and having this great a time. Because, I mean, it was at a different level. It was just so fun. And I said, I may never be here again. I may never be in Turks and Caicos again. And I may never be here in Turks and Caicos with you people feeling like the way that I'm feeling. So I'm going to make the most of this. And you just saw a shift in her and she went, oh, yeah, you know what? That's yeah. right. That's yeah. true. And it was, you know, one of those moments that, you know, I have the scars to earn that moment. Yeah. You know, you're just waiting for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then when I get that, then when I, then I'll, then I'll breathe. Yeah. As I like to call it fuck you Island. Then I get to fuck you Island. You know what? <laughs> fuck you. I'm on my Island. Now what? Hey, like there's somewhere, like there's somewhere to arrive. Yeah. You know what, for me was, I, you know, listen, I, I, I come from a broken home. I come from a rough childhood. You know, I ran away from home at 15. I was running the streets in New York, getting into trouble. You know, I mean, it was, you know, so I, I, acting for me was like, I was, it was going to, it was going to fix something. Yeah. Like I, like, um, I, you know, like that guy that gave your, your mom, the business card, that manager, yeah. I, I had a similar mm -hmm. experience for me. I was, 11 when they were filming a movie david provel came and they shot a movie in my neighborhood called nunzio on my block universal pictures parked their trucks on my block and they used a bungalow and they built all the interior locations so it was like a film film school on my block at 11 years old you know i was like watch the you know so long story short i got a little part background in the film right Funny stories is I show up to the set and there was a kid named Glenn Scarpelli who was uh, had, okay. had had dialogue in the, you know, he's one of the leads in the film, you know, and I was just an extra, but he wasn't there that day. So everybody thought I was Glenn. So they were calling me Glenn. So I, I, I sat in his chair. I got the powder, craft services. <laughs> you know? so, so I pretended I was him for the day. And I, I you know, I, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, very cool stuff. Right. So. The casting director went over to my mother and he handed her his business card and he said, you know, I can help your son. Right. And I, and I witnessed the, the transaction, you know, the business card going to my mother's hands. And I was like, ma, ma, call him, call him, call him, call him. And she never called him. Right. And I begged her to call him, call him, call him. And the little Billy, the 11 year old Billy created a story. Like my mother doesn't believe in me, you know. But the reality was my mother was a, you know, gorgeous Brooklyn mom. And she knew this guy was more interested in her than, than me. And she didn't want to have to, you know, so she didn't call the guy. But in my mind, it was all about me. My mother didn't believe me. So I was like, I'm going to prove her wrong, you know? So my whole life has been about like proving people wrong. Like, yeah, you don't believe me. I'll show you, you know? Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, when you get the success, you get the fame, you get that, you get there and you go, is this it? <laughs> you know, you, 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 don't, you, you think it's going to be enough. Yeah. And it's never enough. No. It, you know, I, I remember I did, I did, uh, I mean, I'm just, I, I, I didn't, I, you didn't want to go timeline, timeline. Did I just throwing shit out there? Yeah. Throw shit out yeah, there. Yeah. So I, uh, I didn't, I done Crimson Tide and it was, and as you can appreciate, it was the first time I went in a casting office and they knew who I was. And I was brought in with one or two other people. So it was the first time in my life where people were like, oh, Danny Nucci's here to read. And I was like, yeah, Danny Nucci's here. <laughs> you know, so it was it was like the first time where I went, oh, this this is what they oh, th oh, it's this. Oh, this is what they're talking about. 
where people were like, yeah, so what did you think of the script? I'm like, wait, you want to know what I thought of the script? Yeah, like, what? well, I mean, you want to know. Like, it was the first time that people actually asked my opinion. And I felt, the first time I felt the sense of, quote unquote, success. And I thought, oh, I'm going places now. This is it. I'm going places. So I get an audition. But it's not really an audition. It's just a meeting. I'm going to go meet Steven Spielberg at this on the set of Amistad. I'm like, oh, in his office? N- no, on the set. I said, we're going to visit him on the set. Yeah, at lunch. So me and a, a couple other actors are sitting there. And he brings us around. And he's talking to us. You know, he just wants to meet us and talk to us and, you know, have a chat. And uh, all of a sudden, I see Steven Spielberg, of all people, go, yeah, so um, in Crimson Tide, um, Tony Scott, when he, how did he, did those, 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 did he, was it a, uh, was it a, a, a distant lens? Was it like a longer lens? I'm like, yeah, yeah, he shot it from far. He's like, and, um, and the sweat, like, did he, was it? I was just like, is Steven Spielberg asking me how Tony Scott did what he did? Is this actually happening? I don't know if like his perspective was, but he was really curious and he was interested in what somebody else was doing rather than talking to me about being an actor in the film. And I just thought, wow, you know, there was like a touch of, I guess at the time what I interpreted as a bit of insecurity. And I was like, oh my God, if Steven Spielberg is feeling this way, there's really nowhere to get to. There's just nowhere to get. I mean, it doesn't get bigger than Steven Spielberg. No, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, well, uh, listen, if Steven, if it's not enough for Steven Spielberg, you know, I I don't know. I I don't know what is. Was it, was it for a project or was just a kind of general meeting? No, it was, it was for a movie that I did not get. Okay. It's called Saving Private Ryan. Okay. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, you yeah, I never got a chance on those, you know, like those those yeah. big movies. I never well, because got I, I was I was I was on, you know, I was in a rotation of sort of big action dude driven films. Yeah, I mean you so, had so you I was, had a I was group. on a I was on a list somewhere. Yeah. Who's on the list? Yeah, Who but you know, you, you you hear about the list and and you know, especially that feature film list, you know. I, mean, I was on the TV list. Then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you then, know? That, and those were two different lists back yeah. then, remember? Yeah, sure. Two de- big Big difference, you know. I mean, you'd be doing TV, but you weren't on the movie list, you know. Well, that was, I mean, that was the that's the thing that people are, are at such an advantage now. And the people that listen to this and that are, you know, getting into being an actor and coming to Hollywood or, or not even coming to Hollywood, wherever they're doing it from, you can do it from anywhere now in, in a different way. Is there's, there's no, there's no constraints. You can do television, you can do film, you can do independent film, you can do commercials. It's all the same and there's no stigma. When we were coming up, if you did commercials, they wouldn't take you for TV. Mm-hmm. If you did TV, they wouldn't take you for movies. And if you did movies and you went to TV, you weren't coming back to movies. Yeah, and if and you did a soap a opera, you were dead. <laughs> oh, if you did a soap opera, forget it. That was Ellie's the soap opera actor. You know, so yeah. so it's just, it's much more open. And also back then you could play different things, much, you know, varied things. Because given the way that I looked, I was able to play so many different kinds of characters. I really got to act. Now it's just very limited to where I was born, unfortunately. You know, that's, that's part, of, part of what's happened. But, you know, in, in the spirit of, there's way more underrepresented under underrepresented stories, which is great. That's, you know, it's a byproduct of it, which is great. So you're Moroccan and Italian. Is that, yeah. 
Okay, yeah. cool. So, I mean, you, you know, look, I'm Spanish and Italian. So for me, you know, the Hollywood try to put me in that little box, right? And go, oh, he can only play this guy, right? And he could play the dumb Italian guy. But, you know, it, it, I had to fight Hollywood to let him know, hey, I can play that other role. Right. Did you have to deal with that? Because I know I know you played a Spanish oh, kid alive, right? I've played at one point I looked at my resume and 30 percent of my roles were Latin American. 30 percent. And when you look at that, when you think about that number, <laughs> think about somebody taking 30 percent of your finances away. It's mm -hmm. it's a big number, 30 sure. percent. And the, the reason was because my mother's mother is from Spain. So that's kind of how I was able to play it then. And then I think playing Edward James Olmos' son sort of opened it up for me where people sort of accepted that, oh, okay, he's a, he can, he's a Latino actor. He can play Latino roles. And, um, and at that point, it didn't really matter. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like it is now. Like one of my favorite performances is by an actor named Cliff Curtis in um, Training Day. Mm -hmm. He's Maori. He's an Aussie Maori. He's not yeah. Mexican. Yeah, and no, he's he great. Brilliant. And he also played a Middle Eastern character in uh, Three Kings. Yeah, no, he's... he's right? Terrific wonderful. actor. True. He couldn't play those roles today. Yeah, he's, he's a chameleon. He transforms. And, like, and he, you know, just t terrific. But that was that was more acceptable then. So it was you, you got more of a chance to play different things. And, and that's really kind of how my career for a, a large portion of, of it I was able to sustain myself because I played whatever I actually looked like and it made sense that I played. And if I did a little accent here and there, you know, it was even more believable because that was the whole point. It's kind of be believable. No. You know, that was the whole thing that for me, it was like, is it believable? Am I believable? Do I suspend reality in what I'm doing? And that sort of became my sort of flag. What's your approach to the craft? Which day? <laughs> no, sir. Have you have you studied your craft of acting? Did you go to acting class? I just, I just, I just make this shit up. Of course <laughs> I did. No, okay, no, well. no. So, so here's my journey. Okay, I'll give you. I'll give you my journey. I was put into by that manager into a class called Diane Hill Harden's Young Actors Workshop, and that's where I learned how to improv and do scene study. Right, and it was just basic basic improv, basic scene study learning the dialogue change, you know, and that carried me for a while because it gave me sort of a foundation of how to do it. If I have a scene, I knew how to break down a scene, not specifically, but enough to act it. And then the improvisation part of it allowed me to just be free. So the combination of the two things were really helpful. And then I got a job at 19. I got a great job. I was a series regular on a show called Falcon Crest. Oh, Yeah. Right. Hey, 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 I turned that role down. Did you? I'm sure you did. I'm sure you, you said no. By the way, it was a good move for you. Because um, here I was at 19 years old, successful actor, making good money per week. And all I did was come up and down the stairs and go, hi, dad. Bye, dad. And I just hated it. I absolutely hated it. I was miserable. I'd go to work miserable. I'd be at work miserable because I just felt like there was more in me. And I, you know, I really wanted to do film because I just became, you know, between 14 and 19, I must've seen 500 movies, 
you know, um, I was turned on to all the classic films. I was turned on to, I just became an absolute movie buff, which I was not before. So I wanted to do that. That's what I wanted to do. And I felt stuck and constrained in this television series where they're paying me to be an actor. It was horrible. I was dying. <laughs> and so when that ended, I really was at a loss as to what to do with myself. I really was at a loss. And this guy named Billy Jane, you remember Billy Jane? He was on Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember? Right. Who's a friend of mine. He had taken this acting class with a, a, a woman named Joanne Barron, which was a Meisner class. And so it was one of those, I don't know if you remember this, but it was a serious class, Billy, where <laughs> serious actors go. And it was the place where like all the models that moved to LA from New York, like, oh no, we're going to be serious actresses. This was like a shit. And you know, it was, it was structured quite well because if you missed a class, you had to pay for a makeup class. So it was not for the economically challenged. You know, it was a, a huge fee to pay to get in. You did a six week course and then you, you paid for the year. And if you missed a class and they didn't really encourage you to work. And at this point, I was like, you know what? I, I want to be a real actor. And I, I just bought, I bought the line. And <laughs> because Billy had been an actor since he was, I don't know, three, he was in Cujo. Billy was in Cujo. Wow. So he, 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 you know, he'd been an actor and he was really loving it. And so I took this class and uh, it was a two-year Meisner program. And I went from that, literally two years, I went from that right into a play for six months here in Los Angeles called Thanksgiving cries about these three youths in a detention center. And I got to play three, three of the roles. So I would switch playing the roles. Um, and I did that for six months. And then I went from that and I did a live and I came back from a live and I just felt like there was something missing in my work. Like I just, I, I got, and then I started studying with a guy named Howard fine mm -hmm. and he just went and I went, Ooh, Oh, I suck. <laughs> Not that he made me feel bad about it. He's like, oh, that's good acting over there. Oh, I'm I'm okay. That's where I want to be. And he just basically broke it down in a very simple way. Goes, this is how you approach the work. And uh, and he really just gave me confidence in myself. And he taught me about it's a process. You know, when you think about writers or painters or musicians, you know, it's not the first you know, little riff that they have. That's a song here. That's a song. Or the first writer, you know, Oh, I've got this idea. Oh, here it is. This is what's ready to be published. Or a painter, you know, has a, a period where they're, you know, they're working on something. They're seeing if they can express something. It, the first painting isn't the, the thing necessarily. It's a process. And I never realized that it didn't have to be a finished product right away. And that's what Howard taught me. It's just not a finish. It's take the first five, take the first page of the scene. Just the first page. Take the first two lines, just the opening. How does the character come in? And he, that's where I sort of just, everything started to slow down. And I began to go, oh, this is a process. I don't have to have a finished product, which was the opposite of auditioning, which is we'd like a finished product, please. And now with self-tapes, we'd like the performance, please. Thank you so much. At least in audition, as you remember, Billy, we had the visual aid of, well, these are sides. Therefore, I can't really be giving a performance. It can only be a reading because I'm holding the sides. 
And it was sort of an accepted perspective, right? Because it's not the performance, just a reading that can be adjusted. With self-tape, that's it. That's the guy. That's yeah. the performance. I was a kid. Did I, answer, did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's great. I mean, you you studied your craft. You did theater. I mean, these are the steps that an actor should do. You want to study your craft. You want to do theater. You gain so much, you know, doing plays because, you know, it's not like television. You have you can develop a character. You can rehearse it. You can play with it. You can stretch it out. You can move, you know, and really create a character. Uh, you know, so I it, it's great. You're training, working on your craft. That's That's awesome. Well, it's what you do. You know, like I, I get a lot of, I don't know why, but somebody's uncle's cousin's best friend's kid is coming out to Los Angeles. Can I give them your number? I don't know where, why I became that guy, but I somehow became, <laughs> as I'm sure you have, right? Sure. Where you just, oh, he's come. Oh, can you talk to him? Can you give him some advice? And I listen and they're usually like, well, I got to get an agent. Well, I got to, how do I, da, da, da. And the first thing I say is, well, you got to act. Well, no, I've done it in no, oh, I understand. But you got to act. You have to act. Where are you mm -hmm. going to act? Well, you know, I did it and I just studied it. No, you have to act. You have to take a class. Got to take a class or do a play. I don't care. But you've got to act somewhere. You've got to go somewhere to act because as you're pursuing getting representation or even if you have it and you're auditioning, the thing that carries you through is you love the work. And you're not going to love the work if every time you say a line, your financial well-being depends on it. <laughs> and so you've got to go find the joy of acting again. And when you do, it will carry you through those difficult moments. And so I always tell people, you, you, go, go study, take a class, go somewhere, work it out. Because that's where the joy of it is. I mean, as you know, Billy, like – We've had successes. We've done, you know, we've worked with wonderful actors. We've been across from people that I can't believe I'm across. I mean, when I was across from Gene Hackman, I was like, this cannot be happening. I'm having a scene with Popeye Doyle. Gene <laughs> Hackman says to me, Danny, what do you want to do here? I thought I was going to frigging die. <laughs> I'm, like, this is like reality meets fantasy all in one moment. And you know, in in having those kinds of experiences, those are great. But the thing that carries me and the thing, the reason that I do it is I was in a scene in Howard Fiennes. He did a master class, like, a, like a, an intensive, right? And I did a scene. And this was the fourth or fifth time I was doing the scene. And all of a sudden, I'm in the scene and I go, oh, shit, I can do nothing wrong. I can do nothing wrong. If I do a cartwheel here, it works. If I spit here, it works. If I start walking around like a monkey, it works. I can do nothing wrong. This is the greatest feeling in the world. I never want to leave this moment ever again. And that's, I've had, you know, I don't know, handful, dozen maybe of those kind of moments. And that that's the, that's the rush. I guess it's, you know, it's similar to Michael Jordan being in the zone. You're in the zone. That's it. You know, and you, when you when and when and to get there, as you know, being a teacher, it's not, it's especially when you're doing, you know, like this was, um, I think this was a Tennessee Williams, so mm. it, it needed working massage and to sure. get to that point. But mm. when I got it, it was just so much like I just didn't want it to end. Like those are the things that sort of carry me to be able to have those experiences again. And even on camera, you know, they're harder to have than in class or on stage. Yeah. But when you have them on camera, it's just like, yeah, it's can amazing. we go again? Can we go again? Can we go again? Can we go? 
well, no, can we just go again? You know, it's just, you just, you just want to do it more and more. Yeah. That's, that's the, once you get a little uh, dose of that in your veins, it's like, that's oh, the, you know, once you hit the zone where you don't know what's going on, but you're just there in the moment and magic shit's happening and you, you know, you come out of it and they yell cut or whatever. And you go like, what happened? What happened? Yeah. Where was it? It was like, what did you, or they come up to you and go, <laughs> what did you, what did you think? I have no, no idea. idea what just happened. <laughs> I have yeah. no idea. And you know, because as you know, doing it on film for people that haven't had a lot of experience, there's a lot of technical things that you have to be aware of. So it's not like you go into an altered state where you're this character, but the marriage of having the awareness of where to move and how to move and what to do, as well as being in the moment and playing the scene, find a place, a level of balance that just makes it the most exciting thing to do. I'm, it, it's still, look, it's still, I'm like a little kid. Still, yeah, I magic. just, I love it. It's magic, you know, and and it's it's rare. Those it doesn't happen. It's rare. It is rare. No, when you rare. when you when you experience it, it's it's magical, and that's when that's when you're really in it. You know, that's it's you're in the zone. But you're in. I experience. You know, I've I've noticed. I've clocked it in class, which is you know, if you can do that in class, you know, somebody going well, they hired the other guy is not going to have the same effect when you're like, that's fine. I got to do this again. I've yeah. got to be in that place again. Well, it's really important because, you know, this with the rejection and with, uh, you know, the business, you got to have a passion for it. You got to be doing it because it's truly in you and you're passionate for it and you love it. It's not something you're doing to be rich and famous, you know, you know, uh, that that may come. (laughs) And that's okay if you want to do it for that reason, by all means, that certainly there's many people that did it because they wanted to be rich and famous and they became rich and famous. And there's a lot of people that didn't be rich and famous and did not become rich and famous. If that's the reason that you want to do it, that's fine. That's not sustainable. Yeah. You better, you better, that's great. You better find something else while you're trying to get rich and famous because it's not sustainable. It there's, there's, even if you hit it big with your first thing to sustain staying there, you know, the people like Tom Cruise, uh, the people like Brad Pitt, rare, where you you get there and you stay there. It's not that common. I can name out 15 people. You're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, they were, oh, my God, they were, it's really hard. You got to love it. I know a lot of great actors that they've had amazing careers. They got a shitload of IMDb credits, but along the way, it became a job. It's like, oh shit, I have an audition. Instead of like, oh great, I got an audition. It was like, oh shit. But you know, there, there was the desperation of I need this job to pay the rent, or I need to this to get my insurance, or I need this to pay my mortgage. And then the pressure of it all, you know, took away the you, fun. You sound like me. This is you are literally describing periods of my life. Yeah, no, because exactly I, it's, what you just described. Yeah, no, I, I know it's affected me in many, many times in my career where, you know, I was, I needed the job. I was desperate for the job and, and that got in the way because, you know, I stopped playing. And I think the, the secret is, is to stay in play and having fun and making those big choices and going into the room, you know, create, you know, creating a character and, and bringing and being like fucking Halloween trick or treat. You know, I got the costume on, I got the makeup, the accent, the thing, you know, and I'm playing and I'm having fun. And if you can stay in play, that's a different energy than coming in in desperation. And I need this job because, you know, they can smell that shit a mile away. Yeah. I mean, it was funny because my, my, my agent said to me, um, 
He's like, you know, I just, I want you to take more risks. You know, like I, in the scene, I want you to take more risks. And my response to him was like, that's great. If the dialogue and the scene is good, I will take more risks. If it's not, I will not be taking any more risks. Because if the dialogue and the scene is not good, you look awful and you suck if you take risks. It looks bad. It's not believable. All of a sudden, it looks like you're chewing scenery. It's only when the writing is good and the scene is good that you can take risks and it really, really works. I feel like when it's bad, you're limited as to what you can do. I mean, that's just my own experience. And and and, and for me, what I realized, and maybe this is what your friends that you've spoken to, is at some point, I'm choosing to be an actor. And the thing and the time and, oh, and this is the audition I get. And I don't, but at, at some point, I, 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 nobody's twisting my arm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember calling my agents and going, I'm done. Thanks, Fred. Just don't send me anything. Like, it's my choice. This is what I'm choosing to do. This is what I've chosen. Yes, things have shifted. Sometimes, you know, you're in periods that are less fruitful than others. The opportunities dry up sometimes. The opportunities are not the right kind, so on, so on and so forth. And yeah, you have to adjust that. And it's, it can be painful and difficult sometimes. But nobody's twisting my arm. I'm choosing to be an actor. This is what I'm choosing to do. Have you ever had a point in your life where you were like, I don't know, I make a mistake, I'm done? Well, I had, I had a point in my life where, you know, it wasn't working. You know, I, 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 I just wasn't working. I wasn't getting jobs. I wasn't booking anything on any kind of a consistent basis. And, you know, the fact that I'd been in the boat didn't matter to anybody. But you were in Titanic. Yeah, nobody cares. Yeah, nobody cares. Really? Okay, let's well, talk about that. Let's talk about that for a second. You know, I mean, you were in a monster friggin' movie. I mean, I remember... I remember when I went to see Titanic and I was, oh shit, that's Danny. (laughs) I'm so happy for you (laughs) because here's this monster movie and there you are, you know, with Leo, you know, on a boat, (laughs) Titanic. Yeah, Can we talk about that a little bit? How how was that experience like, you know, working on with James Cameron on a, you know, a blockbuster, you know, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't, you didn't know you were making a blockbuster or maybe you did. What was that? Uh, I I still have PTSD from that film. No, I'm just kidding. No, I don't. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know, it was, it was, I'd been on big films. I'd worked with movie stars before. So in that, at that period of my life, I had two concerns. Number one, how long am I going to be in Mexico? And number two, am I going to be able to stop shooting so I can be there for the birth of my daughter? Hmm. That's where my head was at. Fortunately, I knew Leo from before he did the movie because I'd, I'd known him. I'd known him through Tobey Maguire. So I knew the two of them. So when I got to the set and I saw him, it was like five o'clock. It was uh, we were starting at 5 p.m. and they were making burgers and we were at craft service. And and we just kind of looked at each other. Can you believe like, here we go. Hey, all right, here we go. And and so it was just work for me. This, there was nothing as, as it went on and the days added and working nights and waiting 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 to shoot and being wet and being cold and everybody going, everybody yelling at Jim, Jim yelling at everybody, (laughs) you know, Kate being exhausted. You know, it, it started to wear on everybody. And then, you know, the sense of we're making the biggest flop in the history of film. This is going to be, the Titanic of film. 
it's going to be a complete expensive disaster and you're going to be in it. And that was the sense that I got. However, wow. while doing it, you were like, this is pretty cool. One of the, one of the scenes I have to cut this rope to uh, let go of a lifeboat and the front of the boat, the entire front of the hydro boat was on hydraulics and take one was we sink the boat. The boat goes under the tank and sinks. I'm trying to cut the rope. I'm actually cutting the rope. There are background actors jumping over me, trying to run, swim for their lives. They're actually swimming for their lives. And it was <laughs> friggin' chaos shot with eight cameras from everywhere. And this is, it's chaos. I'm wet. I'm miserable. Cut. Take two. Lift the front of the boat. Put the boats back on. Rework. Get all the atmosphere changed we're going to do take two tomorrow <laughs> like, like it was just such a big production yeah and so so that was you know that was my experience and when it came out you know because i'm me uh, all i could focus on was the fact that a huge part of my storyline had been cut mm. and the first thing that jim said to me when i got to the screening because it was the cast and crew screening said listen man it came in at five hours. Everybody was cut. I just want you to know. I said, okay. And then when I watched it, I was like, but, but, but I have a love story, but where's my, <laughs> but where's, but where's my scene? And uh, so, but yeah, so that was sort of my experience shooting. I mean, the, you know what the best part of it is, Billy, and you'll appreciate this for sure. Excuse me. You look very familiar. What, what did, did we go to high school together? Uh No. Oh, uh, are you are, are you famous? I'm a I'm an actor. Oh, what have I seen you in? Uh, I was in the film Titanic. Oh yeah, conversation is over, done. You don't have to keep because before Titanic, what have I seen? Well, I wasn't. Well, I didn't see that. Why well, was it? No, I didn't see that. Why well, did the show? No, I didn't see that. No, it's something. Well, no. What else? All right, let me get my IMDb. Well, did you see this? <laughs> it was like the first time that I actually had an answer. For That's awesome. Well, I was in this and it made it easy, which I'm sure you, 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 you deal with. Well, I, well, I was in this, I was in that. I, I got a similar experience. I, you know, I did a little movie called Pretty Woman, you know? Yeah. You know, and it was. Uh, and once it was it, right? Yeah, but but Pretty Woman, you know, was a different film. It was uh Originally, it was called 3000. It was about drugs and prostitution on Hollywood Boulevard. And I was the drug dealing pimp. So in the original script, I had all kinds of scenes with me, confrontational scenes with Richard Gere, you know, me and Julia Roberts. I mean, there was there was a bunch of stuff that I shot. And then, you know, Disney and Touchstone, you know, they made the Cinderella version. You know, they did a test screening and everybody's going, oh, she's a pretty woman, you know, and that's became Pretty Woman. And so the movie became a completely different film, you know, and the first film. She gets she gets kicked to the curb at the end, and you know he throws three thousand dollars. I you know I think Laura Sanjacoma dies on a bus or some shit. ODs. It was a completely different movie, right? But somebody tells me, you know how they have screenings to the theaters? Oh yeah, you know some somebody says, hey man, I got these things outside a movie theater. There's a screening of a movie, and it's got Richard Gere and Julia Roberts, and directed by Gary Marshall, and it's called Pretty Woman. And I was like, that's got to be my movie. I said, give me that, give me that freaking thing. So I, you know, it's. Actors aren't supposed to go to these things. So I go and I, you know, I got a baseball hat and I'm trying to sneak into the thing and I, and I see the movie, you know, 
for my first scenes in the film, there I am on the big fucking screen. And I'm like, yeah. And after that, everything was cut out, man. Yeah. I was fucking, I was devastated. I said, yeah, you know, like it's a horrible feeling. I was just, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was a sad day. For really now. It you know? makes you resilient. Yeah. But here's the beauty is right. You know, I mean, I got paid nothing. I got paid scale plus 10 or whatever, whatever, you know, my weekly contract was on that, but the film became the number one movie, number one video cassette rental, number one everything. So I'm I'm freaking broke. It's Christmas time. I open up my mailbox. Oh, residual check from SAG. Oh, here's another Hill Street Blues fucking twenty dollar check, and it's a check for twenty thousand dollars. And I was like, Merry Christmas, <laughs> you know. And those checks kept coming. I mean, you know, they still come. You know, like. I was doing the math the other day, you know, I still get, and I'm not saying this to brag, but the, how residual income can keep you alive as an actor, you know, that's 33 years ago. And today, to this date, I still make about 15000 a year from that movie alone. So you yeah. do the math, 15000 down 33, you know, that's a half a million dollars on a movie that I got cut out of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's the gift that keeps on giving, you know. Um, so it's, it was like a blessing in disguise at, at the time I was devastated and I was like, this is the worst thing that ever happened, but it turned out to be the greatest thing that ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. It kept me alive during those times when I couldn't get an audition, you know, or I didn't know how I was going to pay the friggin' rent. I, I always can count on that pretty woman money to come in. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that probably, you know, Titanic money wasn't too shabby. <laughs> no, it wasn't, but it's not, it's not what people think because uh, the formula is uh, size of role with also how many speaking parts there were. So if you think about all the speaking parts in Titanic against all the speaking parts in Pretty Woman, mm-hmm. that's quite a difference. And yeah. that's sort of the pool. I'm not complaining. It was, it's was. it been great. And I, I'm yeah. proud to be part of it. And it's helped me uh, tremendously. Sure. But, you know, people think, you know, you must be driving a, a Rolls Royce. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this, it's, it's a crazy business, you know, it's, it's a roller coaster ride, you know, what's your advice for, you know, young actors coming into this business? You know, you, you've been in this business, what, 40 years and, and you, you, you've experienced a lot. What is, what is your advice? But it's a different business. I mean, you know, whatever advice I might have is really about, I mean, I'll say this, Billy, and, 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 you know, this is true. If you don't love sitting in a friggin' room by yourself with a script and trying to work it out, get out. That's the job. Yep. Because at some point, even if you're in class, even if you're auditioning, whatever it is that you're doing, at some point, it's you alone. Even if you're going to work on it with a teacher, even if you're going to work on it with a coach, even if you're going at some point, it's going to be you alone in a room with your material. Sure. That's the work. That's the work. That's you better, you better find that. I mean, I hate doing it. You know, I really do. I I, showing up for that just feels like somebody please take a drill and slowly go into my temple. (laughs) But once I'm there, yeah, I start and I start to do it. I start to enjoy and I start to discover. And I, but, but that's, you know, that, that's what you have to get because that even, even now when, you know, they're asking, and I was working on 911 with a bunch of younger actors. And I said, uh, I said to them, hey, can I ask you guys a question? Um, when you get a, a self-tape audition, do you have like two or three days to prepare? They're like, oh no, oh, it's like almost next day. I'm like, 
So basically, you'll end up with like, you know, two or three scenes, 10, five, 10 pages um, do like in less than 48 hours. They're like, yeah, I'm like, okay, so we're all in the same boat. You know, I think, okay, we're all we're all in the same boat. So it's speed preparing. So, you know, that is one of the realities that I never really had to do this. I mean, you know, we talked a little bit before we started recording about, you know, we used to have to go to the audition drive there and and sometimes work on the material because it just became available 45 minutes to an hour before your appointment. Or you'd go and pick up the material two hours earlier and go in your car and work on it and come back two hours. So there's a, there was a little bit of speed prep there, but uh, you know, eventually you've got to get comfortable with memorizing lines and creating something uh, as quickly and as believably as possible. And that becomes much easier when you know what you're doing, when you've done it slowly. If you can do it slowly, then you can do it fast. If you don't know how to do it slowly, it's going to be really hard to do it quickly. Yeah. What do you think about this? You know, I mean, look, when we came into the game, it was a completely different game. You know, we were we were the kids that, you know, had our black and white headshots and, you know, our demo reels were this big VHS thing or, you know, you know, we, you had to go. You had to drive. There was no sides via, you know, the computer you did. If you... You had to drive to 20th Century Fox to pick up the script. You had to, you know, I mean, it was just a different time. Now they have everything's fast. You can upload your video, you know, you shoot your stuff, you put it up in Ecocast, it's up there. You know, it's like, it's, you know, how do you feel uh, about self-tape auditions? Do you have to self-tape? Oh, yeah. That's the, that's most of what I do now is I self-tape. That's the, the, the last few jobs I've gotten has been, have been self-tape auditions, yeah. Um, do, well, that's the, like that's the industry like standard. It? You know, do I like originally, right? When remember when they were casting in New York or they were casting in LA or you were on location and you had to send that was the only time you sent really tapes, remember? Mm-hmm. So it was it was an anomaly. And then I really loved it because I could control mm-hmm. what they ended up saying. You know, there's something, and that's that's something that's sad. I feel bad for some of the actors now that. You don't go into that horrible, cold, 10, 15 people looking at you, waiting for you to perform with your little scenes that you have three of the lines and there's nine characters and the casting director's reading. And you've got to create this moment in front of people that have just seen the scene eight times and action. It, there's, there's a rush to it. There's a theater kind of rush to it that is no longer present, which I miss. I miss, go, I miss the challenge of... Okay, let's go. Yeah. Uh, Did you get nervous in. walking into the room? Oh, every time. I just died every time. How'd you, how'd, how'd, how'd you deal with those nerves? Most of the time, I just acted like I didn't have them. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> well, it's the truth. You know, it's the truth. I just pretended like I wasn't nervous, and yet I was nervous. And then, you know, along the way, people go, Good, you're nervous. That means you care. And I went, Oh, okay, good. <laughs> All right. And then, you know, when the nerves get to be too much, you have to learn to adjust it. Sometimes I would go, can I start again? Um, but anyway, my point was that I like being able to control and look at the takes and be able to go, okay, this take or that take. And, you know, it took me a while when self-tapes became more of a normal, regular thing to 
not meticulously look at every single take and figure out which is the right one and always curse myself for not having a different angle that I could cut two takes together, you know, like, and now I'm at the point where it's going to be fine. Whatever it is, is going to be fine. If it's take one or take six, it's going to be fine. It's the difference is not so great. Just do the one that doesn't, that you can't, don't hate. I don't hate five. I'm sending in five. Or now with my wife, I go pick one. She's like, really? I'm like, yeah, pick it. I I, I did it. I don't want to know. Pick it. Because you can get so myopic about it. At least I I did. I have. And I had to learn that it doesn't, you know, that's not serving me. What serves me is setting it up so I can have as much fun while I'm taping. That serves me. Right. Um, Sometimes it's shifting the way that I memorize something. You know, sometimes it's doing the teleprompter so that I'm not thinking, you know, doing the different ways to try to just be as free as possible. Do you use a teleprompter? Oh, I have. Yeah. Really? Huh. Interesting. You're pulling pulling a Brando. (laughs) Oh, no. The Brando is when you got the thing in the ear. Which, by the way, which, by the way, my wife is brilliant at it. (laughs) She puts an earwick, covers her hair and then does the scene. And listens to the dialogue and comes out, listens to the dialogue and comes out. And that's when you don't have any time, uh-huh. but it's really hard to do. It's like, it's really hard to do well, but she's brilliant. So she can do it. And it just, she listens to the dialogue and then she says it. Like, I'll say my line. She'll hear her line and say it. I'll say my line. She hears her line and say it. And it's, but again, it flows through her. She understands the character she's done. It. And that's, you know, in an emergency situation, that is, Something that sometimes we have to do because it's just too much dialogue. The opportunity presents itself. They want something yesterday. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a different challenge, man. You know, it's like, it's, it's a, like the challenge of trying to get a performance ready piece in a day and stopping your life and trying to not get nervous and put everything in it is today's version of, okay, it's, Go outside. We want you to read a different character. And you look at like that's 10 pages of the other. Just come in and read it cold. We like you for this other role more. Right. Remember, we like you for this other role more. And you're coming back. And I don't know anything. I have nothing memorized. I just looked at it. And this is my shot. Yeah. You know, it's just it's a different version of the same thing. I used to, uh, the young Billy, you love to audition, man. I love to audition. I'd come in like. In character, in the wardrobe, you know, it was playtime. I didn't give a shit, you know, it was, you know, and then as, you know, my career, you know, as I got older, then I started to, you know, I started to get nervous because I needed the job, you know, and it stopped becoming fun for me. But, you know, I like self-tapes, you know, because I was doing self-tapes before self-tapes were a thing. I mean, I remember I guest starred on NYPD Blue. And I played a son of a mafia boss who was gay, who was killed his brother and killed a bunch of other people, right? And then I, there was another role. There was a, a Puerto Rican ex-con comes out of Rikers Island. It was a completely different character. And it was guest star on the show. And I wanted in on it. I knew a friend who, who was auditioning for it. But they didn't want to let me in. Because, you know, they knew, oh, I'm Billy Gallo. I do that thing. So I, I had a goatee. I, I, I filmed and I sent the tape in. And I got that part on the thing. You know, I showed him. I, I could play that other character, right? Showed him. Yes. But, but, you know, I, I, I was, I like to create the self tapes, you know, I, I was, I, I'd always even ask, can I send them a tape? <laughs> you know, the, no, they wanted to see you in the thing. But now that it's become a thing, 
I love it. I think it's like, I, I want to give him the performance. I want to frame it right. I want to light it right. I want to have the wardrobe of the character. I don't want to leave fucking anything to the imagination. I don't want to be the guy with the wrinkled curtain and with the sides in his hand. You know, this, I want to, I want to give him when they flip onto my thing and it's like, oh, there he is. That's, I can take that footage, put it right up on the screen. For me, it's time. Yeah. The difference between having, getting the audition at 10 a.m. and it not being due until 6 p.m. tomorrow or, you know, having an extra day is all, it's all the world. I actually, it's actually fun when, when it's, trying to get it done as quickly as possible and memorize the lines. I think mean, my wife's like, what, what do you like? I'll do, I'll be doing the dishes, doing the lines. I'll just, just trying to get the lines, just doing the dishes, you know, coming outside, skimming the pool. But I love like, that because what, you're giving yourself an activity. You're giving something else to do other than the lines. While, I, while I'm trying to, while I just, but yeah. it's, I don't, I'm not even doing the scene. I'm just trying to get the, the, the lines, you know, so that once I go to do the scene, they're there. I yeah. want them there. I want the lines there. I don't want to be thinking, as you know, you don't want to be thinking about the lines. You do. Eventually, you're going to. It's going to happen. You're going to be doing a scene, and your head's going to go, "What's that line? What's your line?" And and you'll 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 do that. But for the most part, you know, if when I know my lines, I have fun. That's the key. I mean, getting getting past the lines and then you can play. You're not you're not worried about what's my next line. You're in the moment. Yeah. You're listening. Yeah. You're reacting and you're playing. You know, but I love that you, you know, I tell my actors all the time, don't rehearse your lines the same way, uh, you know, over and over again, sitting, uh, you know, in a chair. Go, go wash some dishes, fold some clothes, do, you know, skim your pool, do other things. Try it every which way possible. Do it with an accent. Do it, you know. Yeah, angry, do it happy, you know, like flip it, stretch it out every which way. So it's not stale. When you get there, you, you can play with it. You know, you've made some choices, load it up, load up your previous circumstance, give yourself a ticking clock, give yourself a sensory condition, give yourself a secret, give yourself, you know, an animal that you're playing, you know, the more stuff, the more fun you're going to have. Right. And then you find the voice of the character in the wardrobe. I like to work from the inside out. Right. I like to find the character, but then I like to put the stuff, you know, the hat, the thing. Well, it's the thing. fun. It makes, it makes it yeah. fun. Because once you step into the shoes of the character, then it's, you know, it's playtime. You know, you, you put a cop uniform on or you put a suit on, you know, you walk differently, you talk differently just because you have that wardrobe, you know? Yeah. I learned, I learned that it's, not great to re keep rehearsing the scene the way you want to do the scene. So if you don't have the lines, I learned you just l learn them by rote, like literally with no inflection, just like this. These are all the lines. It doesn't matter what I'm saying. I just need to know what the line so that I'm not, they, they come from doing the scene or whatever the moment is. So that's, that's sort of the way that I learned to do it. And it, it, it just, it also just the repetition of it sits, starts to sit in my head. It kind of works for me. Also, it doesn't, uh, obligate me to playing a, a moment or a scene or doing a line a particular way, which I like. Cause you know, that's, you know, that's what happens when you get scared, right? When you get scared, you want to go, you get tight, you want to control. Okay. If I say the line this way, if I say the line this way, if I react this way, then that's going to be good. Yeah. Great. How do you feel afterwards? <sighs> like I need a Xanax. You know what I mean? You just, it's too, <laughs> you're too wound tight. You know, it's too, it's too hard. You want to be able to, you you want to be able to go okay i have a i have a map i get it like i'm here i want to get there how i get there let the scene let the other actor do it for you help you get there you know it's not it's not a direct line and i always want the direct line it's so funny i don't know about you but i 
there was a because I, I guess I started when you know my entire sense of self was dependent on getting a job. That the the stress of doing it right and getting it right and doing it good was just so much. And now I realize that there's there's no good. There's just this one. Mm. You know, and once once you've had some wins and people start talking to you like, oh, you know what you're doing. And Gene Hackman will say, well, what do you want to do? You know, you're in those moments where you're going, oh, wait, I might actually know what I'm doing. That's when you go, oh, you realize, oh, you know what? It's just this, it, this way kind of works and this way kind of works and that way kind of works. And really let the director figure out which one he wants. And if what you're doing is not necessarily what he wants, let him come and go, hey, can you do it this way or not? You know, and, and that was something that I, it took a long time to learn that there's no right way to do it. There's no right scene. It's, you know, it's, it's, this works really well. I feel, again, when the dialogue is not great, I feel like it's more limited how you can, <clears throat> how you can play it. But for the most part, and that's what, that's how, you know, you have great dialogue is when you tried it five different ways and they all work. Yeah. That's what you learn from studying when you're doing theater and you're rehearsing a play. You're like, all right. You know, you get you get into the second week of rehearsals, and you're like, well, "Let's try it this way." <laughs> and you're like, "Oh shit, that worked! All right, let's oh, that opens things up." You know, you don't get that in 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 film. You don't get that in audition so much. It's like, it's all you trying to what feels right. You know, and that's the other thing that's important. You know, you get to learn learn to trust your instinct. Yes, absolutely. You know, which is hard because you're like, "Was well, my instinct right?" <laughs> Like does it not does it, is it is it yours? Yeah. Well then that's what you gotta go with. What's your favorite Hollywood story? You mean of anyone? Of you of yours. Your 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 journey into Hollywood. What's your favorite experience? Oh my god, my favorite experience. Holy shit. Okay, I got one. Here's my favorite experience. People don't know about this. But maybe they have, maybe I've talked about it before. So I'm doing Crimson Tide. Right. And it takes place in a submarine. And so a lot of the dialogue between the actors are one part of the submarine and another part of the submarine. Right. So at some point, I forget if they were busy or they were, you know, working really hard. But Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington had a lot of dialogue with a lot of the other actors in different parts of the submarine. Well, Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington weren't coming in to do the off-camera lines for the other actors in the other part. So somebody had to do them, and Tony Scott picked me. So for the majority of that film, I did Gene Hackman's lines and Denzel Washington's lines to the other characters in the, in the film. I'm doing the off-camera dialogue. And I'm sitting next to Tony Scott smoking cigars because he was a cigar smoker god rest his soul he was a cigar smoker and so we would sit there with cigars during the shoot when i was just brought in to do that i would i had the day off i was brought in to sit next to tony and with a mic and do the other scenes and i had the size of him and i was acting with the other guys using my voice to act with the other guys and i sat there and i watched how he shot it all he had you know all the different monitors and he was going okay let's go here let's go here and i really learned about directing sitting next to him smoking cigars acting and you know as as the day went on my voice sounded a lot more like this <laughs> and that was just a wonderful filmmaking experience you know and it was a big hollywood movie at the time and there i was like sitting there going this doesn't suck 
That's great. Suck. Yeah, it was great. Uh, my, yeah, I got, mine was, uh, you know, I grew up watching Richard Gere and like Officer and a Gentleman, Breathless, you know, those movies as a young actor. I remember I, when I saw American Gigolo, I started dressing with little skinny ties and I changed my wardrobe change, you know. And here I am coming out to Hollywood and here I am on Hollywood Boulevard. It's shut down, big cranes. I mean, you know, wetting down the streets, you know, I'm sitting in the car with Richard Gere. We're getting ready to shoot a scene, you know, across the street from the Hollywood Wax Museum. And it's like, it's Hollywood, man. Like Hollywood Boulevard closed down. It was just a magical moment. I had to stop and go, how the fuck did I make this a dream a reality? You know? It was like I had a dream. I knew it. And then here I was living the dream. You know, I had Tony Danzer as a guest on, on the podcast uh, a few episodes back. And we were talking and I said, listen, I grew up watching him on, you know, Who's the Boss and Taxi, right? And I remember watching him and going, this guy's got a New York accent. You know, if he's on TV, I can, can be on TV. Right? I said, I can be on TV, right? And here I am in Hollywood doing Who's the Boss, right? And we, we used to do our, a table reading and then we go play golf at Witsit. So here I am at Witsit playing golf with Tony Danza and who shows up? Sly Stallone. And he joins us and we're on the golf and I'm putting away over there. And I look to my right and there's Tony Banta that I grew up watching and Rocky. And I'm going, this is weird. This is weird. <laughs> I know it's very surreal, isn't it? No. I remember but, for me, it was, it was, I was doing uh what was it called? I forget some television show, but, I was sitting at the chair waiting to shoot, and all of a sudden, this guy sits next to me, and I look over, and it's Lee Majors, the six million dollar man. Yeah, and you're just like, this is weird. Well, you know, so my first audition, right? So picture this: I'm 16 years old. I had ran away from home. I'm 16 years old. I got in some trouble. My mother had to pick me up at the police station. I have to now. I'm back, released in her custody. I hadn't been there for a year. And now I'm watching a TV show called The Fall Guy with Lee Majors. Yeah. And I grew up watching him on The Six Million Dollar Man. You know, da na na na. And here I am seeing this show about Hollywood and stuntmen behind the scenes. And, and I thought to myself, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that. That's what I'm going to do. I cut to me in Hollywood. I get my first agent my very first audition is for the fall guy. Come on. That's yeah. Funny. And the character's name is Billy. And he's a leader of a gang who's bullying kids to deal PCP. <laughs> and if they don't, he beats them up. I walk into the audition. There's all the guys with the leather jackets, you know, trying to look like tough guys. And I laugh. I, go, I had a diamond pinky ring that said Billy on it. I put my fist in every one of their faces. I said, what does that say? Billy, that's me. You could go home. <laughs> I literally told all the guys in the office to go home because Billy had arrived. Right? I get into the room with the casting director. I'm, I'm threatening her. Let me tell you something about me. I'm either going to be a friend or your enemy. So remember, your bodyguard's not around to protect you. And I'm like spewing saliva. And she goes, time out, time out, time out. She goes, number one. She goes, never, ever, 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 ever touch a casting director ever again. I said, oh, I'm sorry. It's my first audition. I didn't know. She goes, number two. She goes, you're not leaving town, are you? I go, no, why? She goes, because you got the part. She goes, we can't tell the other actors out because I got to read them out of courtesy. 
And I go, oh, yeah, okay. I walked out, I said, go home. She told me I got the job. <laughs> so now I get Taff Hartley. I get my sad card, and here I am on the set with Lee Majors and it's, Heather it's Thomas. Crazy. I know. It's like people that don't understand how, how what a seminal part of uh, of growing up it was watching The Six Million Dollar Man. Sure. And I mean, here I, just, I It's like I climbed into my TV. Part. It's like I literally yeah. climbed into my television. There I was. You know, I had that Heather yeah. Thomas poster on my wall. <laughs> I had the Heather Thomas poster <laughs> on my wall. You know, so... It was is crazy, but you know that's why I feel like if you if you believe that you can do it and you see yourself doing it and you go after it like you friggin' mean it, you can make this dream a, a, a reality. What's funny? I got a friend who is in his mid thirties, right? And he was like, "It's too late. I didn't really pursue it. I did it a little bit. I acted a little bit. It's too late." And I said, "Let me ask you something. Too late for what? Give it." Give it a reasonable amount of time and pursue it. Go to class, go try to get an agent, put together a reel, do a student film, do, just do it. What else are you doing? What that's what a, a couple less ball games, what less movies, less dinners. Well, you know, what, what is it costing you one night that you're in class? Like, do it. And he is just having a ball. That's awesome. He's having a ball. He's pursuing, you know, he's he's pursuing uh, getting representation and he's doing it. He's 38 years old. Right. I'm like, and you I... want to be 70 and go, I never really, really tried it. I'm like, to do it. He's like, yeah, but this. I'm like, yeah, well, me too. You know, well, you know, I don't know. And then you just do it. And then if after a period of time, a reasonable period of time, it doesn't work out or it's too hard, it's not worth the stretch. Sure. Then reevaluate whether it's for you. But by all means, like. Go for it. What else are you doing? Yeah. You know, the reason is it's too hard or the chances are or the odds are this or the odds are that, you know, what are the odds you were going to be sitting across from Richard Gere if we want to talk about odds? Slim. <laughs> None. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Huh? So, so it's like, you know, I was I was in Austria. You know, how, how, did, how was I going to end up, you know, in one of the biggest films of all time? From, sure. just you don't know you don't know but you went after it and you made the dream a reality yeah but you know i also i also you know i also loved it mm. i loved acting i loved performing i mean right now it's so funny you know I, I play music so i've been doing a lot of that right now and i'm just like and the only time i really act is when i audition and so i'm literally because of the strike and there haven't really been hasn't been really much i miss it like I like, there's a part of me that feels like I'm, I'm missing. Like, why am I restless? It's because I'm not doing it. I don't have a form in which to do it. And if the strike lasts any longer, I'm going to take a class because hey, I've got hey, it. Hey, hey, hey! Manhattan Actor Studio, come I'm on not out. Drive, I'm not driving down to Manhattan Beach. <laughs> Where do you live? I live by the Hollywood sign. Okay, you still up uh, by the Hollywood sign? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, last time I ran into you, I, I used to live on Beachwood Drive. So, you know, I think I, we ran into each other on Beachwood Drive. Yes, I don't live on Beachwood Drive. But yes, I don't live far from Beachwood Drive. Nice. Hey, Danny, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. Oh, what a treat. It's like yeah. a trip down memory lane and also yeah. just kind of re remembering why we do this. That's right. If, it's, if, it's easy to forget. One last question. Uh, if yeah. you could go back and talk to the younger you 
and give you some life advice, what would that be? You're enough. Hmm. Beautiful. What I would say to myself, like you're enough, even if you don't think it, even if you don't believe it, you're enough. Because that ended up being true. All yeah. the good stuff I did was when I just kind of trusted that what I was doing was was coming through. And I remember I, I worked with a guy named Robert M. Young. And he came up to me and I was doing this role and he came up to me and goes, I got it. I got it. I see it. I got it. Love that. And I was like, I was like, oh, oh okay. He's like, yeah, I got it. You don't have to do more. I got it. Love that. And that's when I started to kind of go, oh, yeah, it's, it's there. <laughs> I had uh, Bobby Moresco. Sure. You know, Academy Award winner Bobby Moresco. I, I was auditioning for a project, and it was uh, it was like a Falcone, I think it was. It was like you know yeah, a sure. bunch of a bunch of wise guy thing or whatever. And I went to read from. I was in New York City. I went to read from, but I came in, you know, with the wife beater, the toothpick, the thing, and the whole thing. And I'm playing up the New York thing, and you know, I'm in the audition. He goes, "Time out." He goes, "Billy, come here. What are you doing?" I go, "What?" He goes. You don't have to do all that. He says, you're enough. Just bring you. That's it. You already got that. You, you're trying to do too much. You don't, don't even do that. Just be you. And I went, I'm enough. Be me. It was the greatest note. <laughs> I was like, okay, I get it. It comes through. You know, you know the best, best directing note I ever got? Best directing note I ever got. I did this scene. It was this intense scene. This guy named Robert Isco, who uh, is a... Uh, He's actually a theater director, originally a theater director. And I did the scene and, you know, I'm like, oh, I did, oh, it's good. And he comes up to me and he goes, that's the scene. Meaning, did I lose you? So he says, you know, that's the scene. And he, that's all he had to say, which is, yeah, that works. There's nothing special about it. You went from point A to point B. You brought nothing exciting to it. You just did the scene and it's functional and it works and you've done it. Congratulations. We have a check mark. That scene could be done. Is that what you want to leave? Mm -hmm. I was like, all with the, and, and he knew that I knew exactly what he was talking about. It was just like, oh my God. Yeah, I can always do the scene, but that's not the fun part. The fun part is I don't know what's going to happen in the scene. No. And it was just, I'll never forget it because it just really kind of went, whenever I do a scene now, like, yeah, I can, you know, I'm, I'm seasoned enough. I'm skilled enough. I understand, you know, dramatic content enough to be able to do a scene. I don't want to do a scene, man. I, I want, you know, as my acting teacher, Howard Fine said, just get that first moment. Make sure you get that first moment. Then let go. Make sure you get that first moment. Then let go. That's what makes it fun. Yeah, that's it. Key keyword: fun. Have fun. Go after your dreams fun? with a vengeance. If if Danny can do it, if I can do it, you can do it. Don't let anybody stop you. Don't listen to the naysayers. You know, go after it like you mean it, and it can happen. Uh, great seeing you. Thank you great so much you, for being on the podcast. I'd love to Thank get you. together. We got to catch up. Let's let's do it. All right, brother. Be good. Bye, Take bye. care. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Please rate, review, share this with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't. 
please take whatever you get from here, the golden nuggets, and apply them to your career. Go after your dreams with passion. Don't let anybody tell you it can't be done. I believe in you. Follow your dreams. I'll see you in Hollywood.